And happy Wednesday, fam. How are we doing today? We got Peter Jones on the show. Pretty excited about that. We're going to be talking about Packer legend and great defensive back, Nick Collins. Lots to talk about. Hey, if you're younger and you did not experience him, get on that YouTube. With us as well, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Acme Army. Check it. Yeah, buddy. All right, it is a Wednesday former Packer profile Wednesday with Peter Jones from the UK. It's going to be a great one because everybody today we have one of the I don't know one of our favorite defensive backs in Packer history. We're going to be talking about Nick Collins today. So before we get to that, we just want to go bounce around the globe and see how everybody's doing. First off, Peter, how you doing today? Hi. Hi guys, no, doing doing really good. Um, just beyond the Christmas festivities and waiting for New Year, but no, doing really good. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and uh, Eric, you know, you got a little snow up there in Wisconsin. Tough start to your morning, but uh, how you doing up there, buddy? Well, I'm doing just fine. It's actually the very cooperative uh, uh, dry snow. So it's going to be easy to plow, but I got to, that's what I do for myself. But uh, for the people's houses I take care of, you got to shovel ahead of the plow. So. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, dark it's, needs dark shoveling this morning. It sounds like, um, it sounds like uh, dry heat. Is that kind of similar? Is that what you're saying? That dry snow, <laughs> that dry heat. Hey man, uh, I'm really excited about what we've uh, come off this week with the Titans victory. We've seen a lot of uh, our friends on Packer Twitter kind of changing their mind. Peter, am I wrong? Huh? They've said, all right, not, not so bad. We did see one of the finest tackles of a punter on a uh, on a blocked field uh, goal uh, during that game, which was uh, rejuvenating for J.K. Scott. So I, I'm telling you, Eric, the Acme Army bump is really, really something that has taken a hold. Everybody take notice. But uh, first things first here, Eric, in the, the injury front, what are you seeing that we got to worry about going into the last game against Chicago? Well, it appears as though uh, uh, Rick Wagner may have dodged a bullet, and he's, you know, he's he's imperative in having that extra uh, functional tackle. Um, don't have any idea what's going to happen with him. We won't get anything until this afternoon uh, as to how far, but it sounded like it wasn't a bad injury. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jay Sternberger, I, I think we're going to potentially have him out again for this final game. Is that what you're reading? I have not. I have not read that. Um, it, it's he's been in the concussion protocol now for boy about as long as as I can remember anybody. So I'm 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 concerned at this point. Yeah. As to uh, as to what uh, his availability is going to be, mm -hmm. had a nice couple of wrinkles in uh, I think 25 snaps for uh, Dominic Daphne, yeah. um, who's uh, who's an interesting kid who's building a spot. Mm -hmm. Hell of a blocker. Yeah, um, he, he can, and he can catch. And I uh, sure like these uh, unheralded, undrafted uh, rookie guys. Yeah, yeah, sure do. Peter, what was uh, some of your takeaways from the game? We came out pretty healthy, and we looked pretty dominant, I thought, on both sides of the game. But what did you see over there? Yeah, I, th I thought that one of the things that was really very good Sunday um, was that the, the offense played two halves. And whilst they only put up 14 points in the first half, they, they played well in the first half and then came out as they needed to do early in the second half, move the ball and put points on the board. And that's not kind of been the the way of things for a lot of this season. We've seen a lot of excellent, you know, brilliant first half offensive performances coupled with not so great second half 
offensive performances. But this week, the offense was there for for all four quarters, which was, you know, which is what we want to see, especially yeah. at this stage of the season. Yeah. And, you know, you can't overlook the defense and, and the ability to stop Derek Henry. Mm. You know, and, and all, all things are relative, but they absolutely did did stop him. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the yards that he did get were late were late in the game when the game was already, you know, won anyway. Yeah. 98 yards. So, yeah. That's 98. An accomplishment for us. Yeah. And I think 45, so nearly half of those yards came after the Packers were up 33-14. So mm. it was... You know, excellent all-round performance. I think the best all-round performance we've seen from the Packers in quite some time. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have uh, made it a habit of uh, bashing uh, Mike Mike Pettin and his, uh, in my uh, ignorant uh, estimation, uh, overuse of the dime program. I love the debut of what I'm calling the reverse dime. Um, so you're still with only one linebacker, but instead of the extra uh, safety or uh, cornerback brought in, it was extra D lineman. Uh, we were playing a, a, a lineup with four down linemen, two outside linebackers, uh, and Chris Barnes. So you got that sort of a uh, little bit nickel look, but a lot heavier up front. Um, I think that the uh, plan to control Derrick Henry was nothing short of genius on Petten's part. And I, I really got to tip my cap to somebody who I've uh, um, you know complained an awful lot about. Uh, I think the defense is rounding into shape quite nicely. Um, at inside linebacker, uh, Chris Barnes played 52 snaps, uh, Kamal Martin 13, and Christian Kirksey 12. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to just mention about that is in 12 snaps, uh, Kirksey had an interception, he had a sack, uh, he had a tackle for loss, and he looked the most active uh, since he's become a member of the Green Bay Packers. And I'm just wondering if keeping him off the field and using him in spots, uh, Eric and I had talked previously about, um, you know, what a great effort blitz for a sack that was that, uh, that maybe in spot duty, he really can make a, a significant contribution going forward. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a great take. I mean, for Bar for me, Barnes is like, is inside linebacker one. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think I the Kirk Kirksey appeared you know, and I, I've looked at the take three, the game three times now. Kirksey appears in the few snaps that he had to have been um, the most productive that he's been, you know, as a as a Packer, which is which is a great time for that for that for that to happen. Yeah. And it would also be remiss of me not to mention Rashawn Gary. So so whilst you know this you didn't huge not huge number of stats. He had something like six pressures and was was all was all over the quarterback, and I thought Gary had probably one of his most dominant games as a as a Packer as well. Yeah, yeah, we you touched know, all on, three of them. Yeah, yeah, we touched on that in the last podcast. It was the, it was without reviewing the game, a second or third time, and it was just the eye test was he's everywhere in there and he's making tackles. You know, he's a guy that made Derrick Henry look like a pedestrian person when he tackled him and stood up next to him you know i mean he is such a such an important part of this next phase of the football season guys because he can't let up we need to continue this pressure defensively let's talk about our secondary real quick because jair alexander and darnell savage right now are doing things that we have not seen since days of charles woodson 
in Nick Collins right now from their passes defending the way that Jair shutting things down, the way that they are being utilized at the line of scrimmage. It's all kind of coming together right now. So let's talk about what our defensive backs are telling about the future of this team. Well, Darnell Savage, um, who, who had a, a, a sort of a, a, an odd, less than great jump on the season, Jair's been just solid all pro all year long. Um, <clears throat> Darnell Savage, since week 10, he's the top uh, rated safety in PFF in the NFL. On uh, 16 targets, uh, he's allowed three catches. He's had four interceptions, six breakups. Quarterbacks have a quarterback rating of 2.3 targeting Darnell Savage since week 10. That's ridiculous. That's that's ridiculous, uh, and that is uh, that is a great sign that we have a young one-two punch at safety and cornerback uh, that we're going to be able to watch for a long time. Yeah, yeah, let's hope. Yeah, I to to totally agree. I mean, look at Jair, and it's difficult, other than Charles Woodson, who wasn't a Packers product, obviously, and drafted by the Raiders. It's difficult to think the last time the Packers drafted a corner at that level. You know, and, I, and I'm thinking all the way back to Tim Lewis, maybe in in the mid '80s. Um, but it's a Is long, he known long. That kind of a shutdown corner. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember Tim Lewis as as much other than a name. Yeah. Um, and and but other than that, it's it's you know it's difficult to think of the Packers having that shutdown that shutdown corner. And Savage, absolutely. You know, I, early in the season, I was concerned. It, it felt like. To a degree, he was he'd taken a little step backwards as compared to where he was at the end of his rookie season. But he's he's come on leaps and bounds, and it's difficult to. We must always remember that this is just his second season. This isn't a a grizzled eight-year, ten-year veteran. This is a guy who's still in his second season. As Eric said, four interceptions already. Um, probably could have, should have had another one on on Sunday. Yeah, as things happen. But yeah, he's he's all over the field and and not just in pass defense. You know, he comes up and makes the tackles, you know, in the run game as well. So I, I think that um, Savage, yeah, he, he's got he's got future All Pro written written all over him for me. Good, yeah. You know the thing the the, the thing about that group that that really impresses me is is Savage is uh, the the one pick he did make. He was playing free safety. Um, but the kid that we haven't spent too much time talking about is Vernon Scott. And Vernon Scott got 26 snaps, most of them uh, playing free safety, which allows Petten to use Savage and Amos in a more aggressive manner, closer to the line of scrimmage. And that tells me one thing that, you know, Scott's made plays uh, to have that level of trust in a sixth or seventh round uh, draft pick this year is, is eye opening. Um, but I think with, with what Gary, Preston Smith, and Zadaria Smith are doing in their group, what's going on in the linebacker group, mm -hmm. and what's going on in the secondary, the D-backs and safeties, I think that the toolkit that Mike Petten can open uh, in, in uh, preparing for teams is significantly greater than it was 10 weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Great. And I, I really like, uh, as you mentioned earlier, that they're getting hot at the right time. I mean, it's bear week and then it's playoff time. Yeah. Really excited about defense for the first time in a, 
in, in, a, in a real while. Yeah, I th- well, I think it's safe to say that the Petten haters out there have cooled down and we've seen some real progress from the players that we drafted. You know, this this draft, the last couple of years, that's been under fire from lack of production. Um, you know, we didn't talk about A.J. Dillon yet, but I mean... You want you want to talk about controversial second round picks due to our theme player, Nick Collins today. Uh, you know AJ Dillon was man, did he get hate? And we saw exactly why they brought him on right now. And there's something to be said about front office people who know a hell of a lot more than we do out here in uh, knucklehead land. You know, trying to uh, speculate on who's going to be great, but uh, they know a lot more than we do. And AJ Dillon proved so much of what we need I, I, he jumped I, into number no go ahead go ahead i was gonna say he jumped into number one 100 yard for rookies in green bay packer history 100 yards with at least two touchdowns he moved into number one ahead of uh, our guy sam congato and another guy i wouldn't have guessed on that list but damon parker had a 100-yard, two-touchdown game as a rookie as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the top of the list now is Dylan, and it seems as though Elton Jenkins is the only guy that can bring him down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tackle of the game. Yeah, what are your thoughts on him, Peter? Yeah, well, he, he and, and he gives you something that your, your other backs don't give you. He gives you that heavy 250-pound load with speed, mm-hmm. with speed. You know, he's not a, an out-and-out burner, obviously, but he, he has speed. And he's a better he's a better pass receiver out of the backfield than lots of the critics, if you like, were saying when he was drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, I never had a problem with his pass receiving skills. He was excellent in the combine, and um, yeah, I thought that I have to say I thought that that he was picked about a round early. I, I thought he was a kind of third third round type pick, um, but on the on that showing, and it's just the one showing, but I think the little pieces that we've seen of him before this, the two or three carries a game that he's had previously have shown a similar thing. Yeah. You know, his, his, his ability to almost, I want to say break tackles, but, but knock tacklers down, but also avoid tackles. You know, he makes those, makes those inline cuts as well, better than probably we could imagine for a guy that size. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the future, the future's in front of him and, and it'll be interesting to see over the next few weeks, um, how much playing time he gets. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I hope it continues to stay at a consistent level and I don't know how they're going to mix in with an injured Aaron, how long he, uh, or how many you know snaps he's going to get on Sunday, but where's Jamal going to fit back in on this? Because at, at this point, what he had done to Simmons on that run up the line, he took a 300 some pound lineman hit him square in the chest and drove him back three yards. I mean, decleated that guy, yeah. the running that he was doing through those creases. Like you said, it wasn't a plodding running, but it wasn't an Aaron Jones burst through the line. But what it did is it continued. He just continued moving. You know, I was surprised at how he just bodies on him continued to fall forward for four yards. You know, he was just, he's what we need. So, Hey, Acme army family, how we doing? Hey, is everybody going out to tuliptreegardenco.com and checked out all the great deals they have on their CBD and hemp products? And did you know that right now all the hemp products are 20% off through January 1st? All you got to do is use code 2021. No better way to end this year than getting the great deals from tuliptreegardenco.com. Support those that support the podcast. Now let's get back to the show. 
That's exciting. It's exciting. But when we talk about second round picks, guys, let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about who we're here to talk about. Uh, the great former Packer legend, Nick Collins, drafted in the second round. Let's get into it, Peter. Start. Yeah. Nick, Nick, Nick the pick, Collins. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, second round pick um, was quite a controversial, if that's the right word, second round pick. You know, lots of the, again, the, the pundits, the Bell Kuypers of this world were calling it a, a, a reach. Um, certainly talented coming out of college, Bethune Cookman. Um, was one of those guys that made splash plays in college, albeit at that at that lower level. I think 13 interceptions in his college career, six in his junior season, six in his senior season. So he's one of those guys that, that knew where the football was and knew knew how to find it. Had had great speed. I think four four two. I think he ran at the combine, and I think he ran something like four three seven in his pro day. So, you know, exceptional speed, athlete. So I think that the Packers with Ted Thompson and, and Ron Wolf before that, but I think the Packers in the in the last few years, especially the last couple of decades, have gone down this route of drafting athletes with great with great speed. And and Collins was was absolutely one of those. Yeah. He sure was. It was a sneaky fast too, because just in those yeah. shoulder pads, Eric, did he not look like a thumper? You know? Yes. He looked like he looked like a Raven Green kind of guy, yep. uh, a beast. Yeah, um, God, you know, and and just just jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, forever it, it embedded in my mind is the interception in the Super Bowl, um, and, and the ability to uh, to to catch the ball, but then to return and read and cut and produce. Uh, it's it's you know, we unfortunately I I don't do a lot of looking at other teams to know what the score is on other teams. But we certainly have lost any number of really precious athletes mm -hmm. to early injuries. And, and he's certainly right at the top of that list. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting you should raise that because if you think of the players that absolutely the Packers have lost just through neck injuries, mm -hmm. that seems to be the, the common injury, unfortunately, that we've seen in the last couple of decades, again, with Packers players, you know, Sterling Sharp, obviously, yeah. and, and, and Nick Collins and Jermichael Finley. Um, the rookie Terrence Murphy, the wide receiver, um, Jonathan even, Franklin. Going, even going back, Jonathan Franklin, um, you know, had that one breakout game Gosh. and then he was going to be the rookie with two touchdowns yeah. that game until he got hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, even a little bit further back, Johnny Holland, Tim Lewis that we mentioned. So it seems to have been the, sadly, the, the injury that's kind of to a degree devastated the Packers over, over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you're right, you know, when, when Collins got his injury in 2011, so the year after the Super Bowl, he was right on the verge of being right up there as, you know, one of, if not the premier free safety in, in the league at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's great to see how far he came and just how smart our front office was. Because like you had mentioned, dra uh, the draft analysis on – Nick Collins was horrible. I mean, people who had responded to the second round pick, you know, big reach, aghast, fourth or fifth round projection. What are they doing? Of course, you had to take Aaron Rodgers in that draft, but they just, you know, blew it by taking Nick Collins. 
wasn't smart enough to play free safety. Uh, you know, 10 on the Wonderlick. It was just uh, an uphill battle he had to climb, you know. But his athleticism and his, his 40 speed in his vertical jump stood out above every other metric that he had. Yeah, yeah abs- abs- absolutely. And, and he made plays. Um, great athlete. But, but as Eric said, he made plays and he made big plays. Lots of lots of interceptions, lots of huge returns on interceptions. Just a, just a, a playmaker, and you you have to have that. And going back to Darnell Savage, you know that that makes a huge difference. You know, if we were talking about Darnell Savage now being as good as he is, but didn't have the four interceptions, we'd be saying, yeah, we've got a solid player there. But those interceptions make all the difference. You know, turnovers win football games. Yep, they sure do. And you know, Collins made a lot of interceptions, forced fumbles, recovered fumbles, you know, was, was to a degree a turnover machine. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, we just talked about Mike Douglas a couple of weeks ago and brought up the point that during those eighties uh, defensive teams, the linebackers were really the active interceptors of that defense, right? Not a lot of sack producers on the front line. And that's kind of what it was like when, you know, uh, uh, Collins came in 2006, 2007. We didn't, you know, we had Campman as our large, uh, our biggest sack with 9.5. And it was all the back end that was making all the turnovers, making all the impact plays. It was a, it was an interesting, you know, juxtaposition there, I thought. So let's get into what happened in the impact that Nick Collins made when he was teamed up with Charles Woodson in that backfield. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 an incredible story story, if you will. The 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 veteran corner with the young with the young safety, and you know there was a year there where they both had seven interceptions, and I, I it's difficult to look back on mm-hmm. on many years in Packers history, probably going back to the '60s, where multiple players have had seven or more interceptions, and you know it it became that defensive backfield, certainly by the time 2009, 2010, 2011, um, you know, that was one of the strengths of that Super Bowl team. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we always think of the offense and we think of the, you know, the high powered Aaron Rodgers led passing game. And then we think of Clay Matthews. Um, but that def- that defensive backfield was, was, as close to a shutdown defensive backfield as, as you can get. And certainly as we've seen in, in Packers law for a long, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember from those teams, we had such uh, hope Eric for uh, remember the big tall six, four Aaron Rouse who came on there. We thought this is going to be the defensive back uh, field that is going to be able to stop the Kelvin Johnson's, you know, the, the Randy Moss, everybody that we, uh, that we faced during them, Johnny Jolly on the, on the line. Those were such fun teams, but really uh, it was no question that our secondary was the shining star throughout that. Now, Nick Collins in 2008, his seven interceptions, teamed up with Charles Woodson to do seven interceptions as well. Um, three touchdowns on seven interceptions. I, that stat to me is, it's the biggest stat that, that I've, that I've read. Am I over analyzing that stat, Peter, when I say you've made almost 50% of your interceptions turned into touchdowns? 
Am I crazy? Well, it's something that something that happens very infrequently. Yeah. You know, that's a that that's a Packers record, and I think it equals the Packers career record. Um, no, I, I think I think again, it's about making big plays and taking and taking the most of your opportunities. And as Eric said, we'll always remember the, the one in the Super Bowl early in, in, in Super Bowl 45. But no, I, I think that that just highlights his athletic athletic ability. So it's one thing to pick the pass off and, and be in the right position and have good hands, which he had all of those things. But the athletic ability to return those for, for touchdowns, I think is such a huge boost for a team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's a bigger bo- boost for me, it's a bigger boost than if you make the interception and then offensively drive for a score. There's just something that yeah. that I think gets in the heads of the other team as well. Um, but no, I, I think there's a lot to be read into that. Big play player. Mm-hmm. Well, quick question for you. You know, first of all, getting seven interceptions with a ball hawk um, like Woodson uh, <laughs> competing for those balls is an accomplishment. You, you, you mentioned uh, earlier, look, not not remembering any uh, duo in Packers history that had seven and seven. Do you do you remember any duos in the NFL period that have ever had two guys with seven? I mean, I, I'm sure that there's some in Packers history. There was there was a year that Mark Lee had nine, and I've got a feeling that somebody else had had seven. Um, but it doesn't, off the top of my head, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen very often. I, and it, and it might be that, you know, we think of the great interceptors like the Deion Sanders of, of, of this world, and maybe we concentrate so much on him, we forget the other guys. Um, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of many, but I, I don't think it happens that often. Well, and you know, old coordinators were all scheming to stay away from those two guys, and, and they still did. So I'm looking at Mark Lee's nine interceptions right now. 33 yards is what he accumulated off those nine interceptions. <laughs> Look at what Nick Collins did. That's ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> wow, that is really, really something. All right, guys, so let's get into Nick Collins as far as his impact during that Super Bowl season. And leading up into the Super Bowl, because really this was, when you look back at it, kind of his swan song and what we're going to remember from him. And I, and I think, yeah, I think for most fans of this era, if you mention Nick Collins, that will be the play that people will will always remember, um, and a crucial play. Although it came early in the in the game to to move up fourteen nothing in any game. But in the Super Bowl, especially, it's just it's just huge, absolutely, absolutely huge. Um, but that you know that 2010 season, you know he was peak Nick Collins and um, multiple interceptions that year, four interceptions that year. Um, I think a fumble recovery, return for a touchdown. Um, yeah. Yeah. He also recovered the onside kick. Do you remember the New England game that Matt Flynn started at quarterback? Oh yeah. And Rogers was out. I think Rogers was out with a concussion. It would be my recollection. The Packers started that game with an onside kick, <laughs> and Nick Collins recovered it. Um, so huge, absolutely huge influence on on that Super Bowl season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, helped obviously by a great pass rush with 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 Clay Matthews. Um, but yeah, huge influence on that season, and. 
I just know it's just to me it's just sad <laughs> every time I think of Nick Collins I think of that Super Bowl and then I think of the sadness of what might have been yeah next yeah. six or eight years yeah because in that secondary in in 2010 you know with with Nick Collins he was a pro bowler Tremont Williams pro bowler Charles Woodson pro bowler Clay Matthews all pro it was a defense that was really looking to you, you could sense another five years of just at, at, at key that, key at, domination you know at those positions we we had great matchups on there with, especially with at, with clay at, absolutely and sam sam shields as well who, mm -hmm. whose career would pretty much be ended by concussion yeah um so yeah it, it it really was and it's it's funny how this this year we've spent in the last couple of years we have spent a lot of time worrying about our defense um to look back to that Super Bowl team and 2011 and think about now how good that defense was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how important the secondary is. That's for sure. Uh, Eric, what were you feeling when after the, the, the celebration of the Super Bowl, what were you feeling when you saw Nick go down and get taken off? What did... Uh... You, you know, it's, it's it's that sick feeling in your gut, um, and and lots of hope. And you know, the guys bounce back all the time, and it isn't until you you uh, come to grips with the fact that uh, this guy who showed so much promise, um, who, you know, he looked like he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He was that good, mm -hmm. and he was in his prime. Yeah. And 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 to lose players like that. Uh, takes a long time to recover from. Mm -hmm. We haven't had a safety put up the kind of numbers and produce the kind of play that Nick Collins did. Uh, Darnell Savage is the first one we've had since then. You know, you can you can throw a little Charles Woodson in there, uh, obviously. Yeah. But uh, in terms of uh, speed, ball skills, um, cracking people. Uh, Darnell Savage is really is a is a is a nice comparison uh, to uh, to Nick Collins, and that's that's ten years, almost ten years to recover from uh, from losing a player like that. Yeah, yeah, just it shows how hard it is. Number one, to find players in the draft and free agency, to make the numbers work, to find somebody that's buying into the program that fits the scheme and that can uh, ball out the way that that they did. Peter, how do you remember that uh, that game? Do you remember that day that Nick yeah. Collins went down and and did you think it was a, a career ender or what? What was your feeling on there? Because the stretcher was traumatic. Yeah, it, it was, and it's one of those strange ones that when you saw it immediately happen, um, it didn't look like that bad a that bad an injury as it, as it happened live, mm -hmm. but obviously immediately knew and. I think you do, you get that, whether it's a Packer player or, or a player from any team, you get that sick feeling in your stomach when, when a guy's prone on the field. And, you know, afterwards, you know, you get the, hopefully you get the good news that at least, you know, they've got movement in their extremities and all of that, mm -hmm. all that good thing. Um, but you always wonder with those, well, with any serious injury, but particularly with a neck neck injury, you always wonder about a player's ability to to return from that. But yeah, I just the sick, just the sickest feeling I think you get for any for any player, mm -hmm. 
you know, obviously, especially when it's one of, one of yours, but I think you just get it for, it for the, the, the human feeling, don't you, when you see a guy prone on the field like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a tough day, and that was – that led on to a few things. I remember talking to you, Eric, and, and talking about the injury and then when they were putting him on IR. And then – going through the progression of this is a guy that's not going to play for the green Bay Packers again and having that settle in. And then in 2012, I, because Eric and I, so Peter, Eric and I, we, we are uh, two Homer Packer fans. Like we are, we get emotionally invested in a player and it's crazy. Like he, whether it's on our team or another team, like let's take a look at CJ Procise. He just got released from the Texans. He hasn't done a damn thing in his whole career, but Eric thinks he's the second best running back that could potentially <laughs> impact the Packers. That's right. He thinks also that Alan Barber could have Fastest been the offensive lineman in the history of the combine. And he could have been the best defensive end, but we never made that switch for him in the NFL. So, I mean, this is the kind of player, but, but, I, we were so emotionally attached to Nick Collins. We loved him. When we put him on IR and when 2012 came, did you feel like the Packers organization, again, not being owned by an owner, not having somebody to point the finger at, but having a community-owned team release the guy that busted his neck playing for you a year later? Because to me, I was... <clears throat> Holding out hope, of course, but I was still like, man, how do we let this guy go? How do you not take care of him in any other way? And I, I... It's, it's, it's such a difficult one. It's a similar thing with Sterling Sharp, you know, 20 or so years before. I, I think that ultimately the team has to try and send a message to the player. It's, it's, it's just a devastating... It's got to be a devastating thing as a human being to be that young to have all you've ever known mm. taken away from you just like that. It, 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 it's, a, it's a devastating thing. And I think the problem is that the, 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 the Packers, in essence, had to send a message to the player that said, whatever the doctors tell you, you we're not going to allow you to play for the, for the Packers again. We don't believe that your future is less important than returning to the Packers hmm. or turn that around. Your, your future is more important than coming back to play football. And I think it's just sending a message in an unfortunate way, but just saying, you know, it's time, it's time to, it's time to move on. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how, how a team is meant to, is meant to deal with that, with that situation. I just, I like the idea of send, of sending that message, and I don't know them any other appropriate way. There may be, but but I think that you have to send that message that says your future life is far more important than playing football for the Green Bay Packers. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that, that's so tough for the uh, for the athlete to accept. You know, I, I think of the one the one guy that uh, we unfortunately had to do that with. Uh, um, uh, Sam Shields, who who has gone on and 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 played again, but you know, given what goes on with CTE uh, and concussion related injuries among NFL players, 
uh, as much as I hate to see a, an also exceptionally talented kid like Sam Shields go, you you do, you do have to draw a line in the sign in the sand that says you're more important as a person, as a member of society to us uh, than than you are to the football team. Um, your health is more important than our success, and I'm, I'm glad we did that. Um, I'm sad to see that he played again uh, because yeah. and you know it, it's just the risk. Mm-hmm. In, in, in his place, there was just too much risk. It, it really is, and, and, it, and it shows that we as fans should never take these guys for granted. Yeah, We never know when their career could end next game. You, yeah. you never know. And so when we see guys that play 10, 12, 15 years, that's exceptional. When you think about all of the hits, all of the injuries, all of the just being in the wrong place at the wrong time could, could, could happen. All you know, of the training, my gosh. Yeah. All, you know, all of those things, you know, um, you know, we've had guys lose their career through training, you know, injuries in training camp, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, you just can't take these, these things for granted. And it, and it's why the front office always has to work on the basis that, well, what happens if, you know, we, we might have the best player at this position or the best player at that position what happens if he's not there tomorrow? Because anything could happen. You know, how do how do we as an organization cope with that? And that's why, you know, Jordan Love, AJ Dillon, those types of picks, you're always going to have them because you have to always be looking as, as a as a front office, they always have to be looking at the at the future. And as fans, that's difficult, I think, for for all fans to to accept and un- and understand. It is tough. Well, then we move on into 2013. He was looking to make a comeback. Uh, I remember there was some rumblings from his camp, and that never came to fruition. And then he officially retired in 2014. And then it takes two years for the Green Bay Packers to say, Nick Collins, there is no better place for you to be than the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. Take us there, Peter. Uh, quite and quite rightly, quite rightly too. When you look at safeties in Packers in Packers history, and whilst we, you know we've mentioned the Pro Bowl in the past, and you can't always go by that, it's a it's a it's a reasonable thing to look at. And you look at safeties in Packers history, only Willie Wood and Leroy Butler have been to more Pro Bowls than than Nick Collins, and so it's absolutely well well deserved. I think around. 2016 was the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd given up hopes of, of, of playing again. So I think that, that, that's, that's about the right time. And of course, he went into his college hall of fame in the same, in the same year yeah. and, full, and, and fully deserved. You know, his place in Packers history, both across his career and his numbers across his career, but also the great play in, in, in the Super Bowl, his place in practice history, as far as I'm concerned, is 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 secure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He is a legend, no question about it. We are, and always have been, and will be huge fans of Nick Collins and whatever endeavor he is doing. Eric, what do you have? Uh, any wrap up you want to talk about, Nick Collins? Uh, only in the sense that it's somewhat amazing that uh, it, I was unaware that. Uh, Bethune Cookman uh, put him in their uh, their Hall of Fame at the same time or same year that the Packers did. Uh, why wasn't he already there? 
uh, is he not the greatest football player in the history of Bethune-Cookman? <laughs> I, I have no idea. He's the only one I've ever heard of from Bethune-Cookman. Yeah. But it uh, just seemed kind of funny that they would have waited uh, so long to get him. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun. Peter, do we have any final words about Nick Collins? Um, just the, you know, I would say that for, 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 the, for the younger viewers or listeners that didn't get to see him play, go back and watch some of those games, not just not just Super Bowl 45, but go back and watch as many games as you can from 2008, 9, 10, his peak, his peak seasons, and you'll see him as a guy that dominated games. You know, when he made those big, big plays, he was a game dominator, a game changer, a game, a game winner. And we hope now going forwards that that's the type of player that Darnell Savage becomes. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, well said. Well, we appreciate everybody out there listening to us. Peter, why don't you let everybody know where they can get a hold of you on the socials? Yeah, best places on Twitter, at ProFootHistory. Awesome. Awesome. Everybody go make sure you follow Peter on Twitter and thank you for following us on Twitter at Acme underscore army and listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google podcast. Guys, we got a couple more videos out. Uh, I am back on track. We'll have some more videos coming out every day on YouTube. And a lot of it is with our friend here, Peter Jones. So thank you guys, everybody for listening your time in your ears. They're a gift that we do not take for granted. Thank you very much. And Eric, with that, take us out. Hey, everybody, have a safe uh, rest of your week. It's bear week. Uh, keep your eyes out for uh, navy and orange. And if, uh, if you slip on the ice, you slip on the ice. Accidents happen. <laughs> uh, and with that, uh, go back, go. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the episode, Acme Army. Hey, we got a little bit of extra content here. I'm going to throw that in right now if you want to hang out for a couple extra minutes like Peter and Eric and I did after the Zoom call and see what we were talking about then. A little fun, but enjoy. You know, there is a thing about running backs not lasting long in the league and when they get to their fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, eighth year, you know, you can look at lots of those guys. But there are examples Dalvin Cook's a good example of a guy signing a big contract and still having another big year. We've waited a long time to have an Aaron Jones type of type of back. But I just think that offensive line is so is so crucial and continuity along it is so is so crucial that you can take a lot of NFL caliber running backs to run behind that line. But having a great back and a poor line, and there will never be a poor line with the other guys, but a a lesser line, if you if you like, uh, is more is more difficult. So so I think for me, yeah. I think for me it's it's Lindsley, but neither of them would be totally wrong. Yeah, you, and you know, and you know, if you if you lock up Lindsley, who is you know the <clears throat> arguably the best center uh, in in the in the league. Uh, and you've got some young guys in Runyon. We don't really know what we got in Stepaniak or Hansen, um, but we, we're, we're uh, big fans on this podcast of Yash Nyman as well. Um, we got some young guys that Lindsley solidifies the thing regardless of who's playing quarterback. Yeah, He either gives Jordan Love a, a big head start or you, you protect uh, you protect Rodgers. Do, do, you, do you think that there's any chance that we can get them both? Mm. 
So, so I would about a week ago I would have said no, but with the rumours that they'll go to a seventeen-game season next mm. year. Yeah. So the, the NFL has the option to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole bunch of, so I picked up, I've got a copy of the CBA and there are numerous provisions in there for increasing the salary cap if, when in the year that the league goes to 17 games. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff about salary cap credits that teams can take in the year it goes to seven, 17, in essence, borrowing cap from future years. So there's a possibility that it will certainly get higher than the 175 that was previously agreed. So, so there may be a little bit of leeway in that. Yeah. Um, it's still going to be very tight though, because well, it just is, you know, <laughs> you know, can you, can you, and again, when you, when you start getting into uh, contracts and structure and them, I'm, I'm even more of a knucklehead than I am about everything else, but I mean, can, can you structure one of them at least, uh, to where they have sort of um, a minimal, or or both of them, where they have sort of close to to minimum contracts next year, but then balloon in year two, anticipating the uptick in the cap expansion. Yes, yeah, so I'm sure that I'm sure that that's what they'll try and do. Is that, is that they'll keep their base salaries, whoever they re-sign for next year, they'll keep their base salary to whatever the the minimum is. They'll give them a high signing bonus. You know, but they can spread that over the length of the contract. So, that, so, the, so the key is going to be contract length, low minimum salary next year, but high signing bonus with a with a with a long contract length. So, if you can, let's say you take Aaron Jones and you give him conservatively, let's let's say it's fifty million over four years. It's going to be somewhere between forty and fifty, I would imagine. If you could make that over five years. And spread that signing bonus even further. That would be ideal. The same with the same with Corey Lindsley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and even in Lindsley's case, if he doesn't play the five years, will you worry about those fourth and fifth years down down the road? Um, but that's the way they're going to have to do it. And you know, there's a number of guys who are due roster bonuses in March who either don't make the team at all, or they can convert those roster bonuses into signing bonuses which then spreads those over the remainder of their contracts. So, so there's some things that they can do. It's just, yeah, there'll be so much to go around as well. I, I think we're going to be seeing what happens with Kevin King being gone. Uh, Christian Kirksey, what's going to happen with his contract? You know, does Wagner stay on his contract? Does Lane Taylor stay on his contract? I'm the, oh man, I'm putting this up. I believe in paying receivers, not running backs, you know, and that's, uh, we got a receiver that we're going to have to pay big coming up here shortly as well. I think if you want to talk about upgrading our position, it's not going to be done in the draft impact receivers are going to be made, you know, on the free agency, if that's what we need, but that line is, uh, that's where it all starts. That's where it all ends. I mean, you can, you can throw any running back behind there and we're going to get pretty good yardage, but we got AJ Dillon right now. that just proved, you know, proved. Yeah. You know, Piggy, piggybacking off exactly what Eric's saying too, and, and that's that uh, you, you, you look at salary for Turner, you look at salary for Wagner, you look at salary for Kirksey. There's, there's some pretty big chunks there. I think, I think uh, Taylor's contract expires this year, so I think he's off the books. Um, 
and, and and how so many of our key players now are on rookie deals to where you might have a little bit more flexibility. Clark's taken care of, so you got that done. You, you got Jair, who's going to get a, a, pay, a big payday in a couple of years, but Savage is three years away from, uh, from uh, you know, and, 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 and the salaries we have at receiver, Lazard, St. Brown, MVS, these are not guys that are sucking up a lot of, uh, a, a lot of salary cap. Um, and, and we're so young in a lot of places that, boy, this, we could be sitting, you know, uh, the, the window we talked about as closing might be, you know, wide open and wide open for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't see why not. If, if, if Rogers is able to play at the level he's played at this year, and if Adams doesn't get hurt, and if the defense continues to improve, heck, it's the seventh-ranked defense now, you know, mm-hmm. Um, if, the, if the defense continues to play at that kind of level, I, I don't, I don't see why not. Because there's very few, um, like you say, there's very few guys that are at the end, the, the end of their careers now. It, it, it is a young team, but it, but it's a, it's a young team with good, good talent on it. Mm-hmm. And now is about, you know, when you're drafting, you're now looking to, you, you can draft for the future, like they did with Dylan. You know, you can you can draft a corner who may not come in and start in year one. He may do, but he may not. But you know, he he can he can be your third corner for a year before he comes in and starts. You're in that kind of position, hopefully. So, yeah. on paper, it looks it look it looks great. Yeah, it, it certainly does. All right, guys, I got to roll. So uh, my wife is uh, needs some tea.